What do you think's the, the biggest lie you ever heard? You think of one? You know the story of the Trojan horse? Where the Greeks pushed that hollow horse up to the, the gates of Troy and there were soldiers hidden inside of it? That's a, that's a pretty, that was a pretty big one. Um, the Chicago Black Sox, do you know that story? The, uh, the Chicago White Sox, way back in the day, they fixed the World Series. They lost the World Series on purpose. They threw the World Series so that bets on the other team would pay off. That was a big lie back in the day. Um, you know, I remember Bill Clinton's taped deposition. Anybody remember that one? Where he said, I did not have, and we all knew he really did have, that was a very famous lie, for sure. It was recorded. Um, you know, University of Nebraska's top 25 preseason ranking this year, I don't know if that was a lie, but it wound up certainly not being very true. Uh, there are more common lies. There are lies that are bigger because not so much of the size of them, but the, how common they are. Like, um, I, I thought I paid that already. That's a big one. Um, or this won't hurt a bit. <laughs> that one often. Uh, or uh, only this offer is only open to the first hundred people who respond. That's always a lie. I think I know. I, I really do think I know the biggest lie ever told. And it's the biggest in size and scope and damage and I think it's probably the biggest in like how common it is too. It was told to a woman named Eve by the serpent of old, the devil, in the garden. It's recorded for us in Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. And so the devil said to Eve this, you will be like God. On its face, it seems like nobody would ever believe that. I mean, if I were to just ask you, could you be like God? I would get no one who would say they would ever believe that. But it's easier to believe than you might think. Satan wasn't trying to get her to believe she could actually be God or do everything God could do. But here's what was true about her and what's true about you and me. We were created by a creator for a created purpose. Our purpose, we were created by God to make God look good, to glorify, honor, and thank God. But we don't really want to live like that. You know why? Because we want to be glorified and honored and thanked. We, in that way, want to be like God. That's, that's not just a lie. That's the lie. The lie that says, I, I can make a life where I am the point. Where, where me getting what will make me be celebrated 
seem impressive, be comfortable, whatever. That's believing my life would be better if I treated me the way I should treat God. Last week, we began the, the first section of the body of the book of Romans. The book of Romans is about, is where Paul explains the gospel. Paul said, the main idea of the book, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It's the only way God's power can be pointed at people where they are saved instead of condemned. Why would I be ashamed of that? But now, after stating that main idea, Paul thinks, if I'm really going to explain the truth of the gospel, what the gospel means and what it's for and how it saves people and why it's the only thing that saves people, Paul apparently thought, I better start with this. I better start with helping everyone understand their need for the gospel. You see, if you and I are not hopelessly lost without the gospel, we don't really need the gospel. Jesus didn't really need to die. Right? If I could be okay before God in my judgment without faith in Christ, without what he did, then, then, then I don't need the gospel. And Paul doesn't want anybody to think that. Paul does not want to think that God, uh, that the gospel is, is God lowering a ladder down that we can follow the rules and climb up that ladder to God. The gospel is not a ladder. The gospel is a stretcher. Right? Right? The gospel is not an ambulance even. The gospel is a hearse. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, Paul would say, elsewhere. Without the gospel. And so Paul sort of has to get us lost before he can get us saved. Right? He has to explain why we need the gospel. That is, it started in chapter 1, verse 18, where we were at last week, and it goes two-thirds of the way through chapter 3. It's, in some ways, kind of depressing. It's all just about how we are lost. But that's the first part of the gospel. Because if we're not really lost, we don't have a need for the gospel. So last week... We covered chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, and here's what we learned, just a quick review. Last week, Paul said, people knew. People knew there was a God out there. People knew this couldn't have just, all this couldn't have happened by accident. There's too much evidence. We talked about how we know that last week. But people knew there was a God. We just kind of don't care. <laughs> We know that there is a creator out there, and if he made all this, I am accountable to him. But we live like that's not true. Because, again, I want life to be about me. And if I'm accountable to him, my life is ultimately about him. We don't want to find out what he wants, what he requires, and who he really is. Now, do you think there'd be consequences from God? If that's true, and I believe it is, if there's a real God out there, we're accountable to him. We know he's there. We have enough evidence to know, but we don't care to find out who he is, what he expects, any of that stuff. Do you think there would be consequences for people who buy the lie? 
who decide my life could be better, will be better, if I stifle that truth, if I pretend it's really not true, he's really not watching, he's not involved, he's not real, it doesn't matter how I live, it doesn't matter what he wants, if I, despite the evidence, if I live like that, do you think there's consequences from a God like that toward people like us? Well, there are. This is last week's passage still. The beginning of last week's passage, Romans 1.18, Paul said this, why the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all people. Our big problem is we suppress the truth. The truth is right here. People knew there was a God, but they did not glorify him or honor him as God. They didn't give him thanks. That's our problem. Last week, we talked about why the wrath of God is being revealed. And I promised you if you're here last week, but today we would talk about what this wrath looks like. We, but I want you to notice, the wrath of God is being revealed. Paul did not say, someday the wrath of God is going to be revealed against people who suppress the truth. That's true. That's just not what Paul said. The wrath of God is being stored up, and someday God's going to say enough is enough, and his ultimate judgment will happen. But Paul said here, the wrath of God every single day is being revealed against people who suppress the truth. We, we suppress one side or the other of the truth all the time. We either suppress the truth that there is a God out there who's involved and cares, or we suppress the part of the truth that says, therefore, my best life would be spent glorifying him as God, giving him thanks. We stifle that because, again, we want to be glorified. We want to be thanked. We want that stuff for us. We buy the lie. So what does this wrath look like? If it's right now, every single day, being poured out on people, and it is, what is it? What's it look like? What it looks like might surprise you. Let's read about it, and then we'll study our way through it. So this is Romans chapter 1, verses 24 through 32. Paul writes, Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. Their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural, and in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God. They're insolent, they're arrogant, they're boastful, they're inventors of evil. They're disobedient to parents. They're without understanding 
They're untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do those things, they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. That is the wrath of God. Let's see what all this means. In verses 24 and 25, Paul tells us what God's current wrath is, and then he reiterates why God is pouring out that wrath. I want to take these two in, in reverse order and do 25 before I do verse 24, because verse 25 is a reiteration of what we talked about last week. Paul said, they, that's just mankind in general, they exchanged the truth of God for the lie. And they worshiped and served the creation rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. The, uh, I make a big point, and I put it in italics here because I changed this translation. I want to let you know that. Your Bible that you are reading this morning probably says that we exchange the truth of God for a lie. Does it say that? I want you to, in the Greek, that definite article, what we say, the, it, that's in there. And I think it's intentional by Paul. I think it's unfortunate that it's left out because I don't think Paul was saying that we exchange the truth of God for one of many lies. I think Paul means we exchange the truth, one truth, for one lie, the lie. You can be like God. The lie, the truth is there's a God out there. I'm accountable to him. What I've all been explaining, the lie is my life would be better if I don't live like that's true. I can make myself the point. I can live my life for what I can acquire. If I glorify myself, Paul said, the lie leads people to doing this, worshiping and serving stuff God made rather than the maker who made it. That's the lie. That's the lie. There's this terrible exchange. I was made for a purpose where I can pursue the God of the universe and be in a relationship with him. I give that up to try and get more stuff that he has made. I like, um, I think it's Matt Chandler, some preacher always says it this way, we don't want God, we want his stuff. We think if I had the stuff God made, enough of it, I'll feel better than if I actually have the one who made it. That's the lie. If I had just had more of what I already have, I wouldn't have this ache in my heart. I wouldn't be so unhappy. If I had more, fill in the blank. Money, power, sex, popularity, whatever it is. If I, that's stuff God created. That's what would make me happy. What would make me fulfilled. That's not just a lie. That is the lie. It's the fundamental sin of humankind to worship the stuff, to worship and desire and serve the stuff God created, even if one of those things I worship and serve is me. All right, that's why we do, that's a reiteration of why we deserve uh, the wrath of God. We made this terrible exchange, the truth for the lie. And therefore, verse 24, here's the wrath of God. God gave them over in the desires of their hearts to impurity to dishonor their bodies amongst themselves. That's the wrath of God. 
This is sometimes called, referred to as God's passive wrath. Not because God didn't do anything. Because God does do something. He gives people over to something. Actively. God does it. But it's called God's passive wrath because this idea of God's wrath is different from what most of us think of when we hear about the wrath of God. We think the wrath of God will be when God intervenes and does something in someone's life and gives them that cosmic smackdown, right? There's a, um, it can be anything. There's a hurricane someplace. Oh, that's God's wrath on those godless people. Something terrible happens to some. I'll bet they're getting from God, you know, what they, what they deserve, okay? We think of that as, as the wrath of God. I've often heard, very often, Preachers have stood behind pulpits and they give sermons that, where they rail against sin and sin deserves to be railed against. But they say things like this. If you continue in your moral decay, God is going to pour out his wrath on you and you're going to be really sorry. Do you know what Paul says here? The moral decay is the wrath God has already poured out on you. The sin was that bad exchange. God said, you decided there was something better for you to live for than me. So have at it, big boy. Chase it hard. Get as much of it as you can get. That is the wrath of God. And it's way more terrifying than the car accident or the diagnosis, or the whatever else that we sometimes think, I'll bet that's the wrath of God. Do you know why? That most of those things, I believe, are actually the grace and the love of God. Because when I am pursuing something that's not God, I don't care what it is. If I'm living my life to get to acquire um, honor for myself, or, or whatever those things are that he created that I think will make me happy, when that's what I'm living for, God cannot do anything worse to me than nothing. Than just letting me go chase what's not him. If it makes distance between him and me, what worse could happen? But sometimes in his grace and his mercy and his love, he wakes me up. And that thing I might have thought was the wrath of God and God punishing me is God being a good daddy saying, don't, Jay, what are you doing? Turn around. That's the great, no different than if you're teaching your little kids not to go out in the street and they keep doing it. They keep, do you get to the point where you see your three-year-old running out into the yellow line and you see the traffic coming how terrible, how angry would you have to be to say, well, good luck out there, little one. No, you would go grab them and you'd swat them on the butter. You'd put them in the corner or whatever because I love you too much to watch your destruction. That is the discipline of God when he, when he, when he gets after us a little bit. The wrath of God. Listen, the train is coming. The semi is coming. 
We're going to stand before this God and he's going to be the semi. The semi is coming and it's him. The wrath of God is when he just says, He doesn't have to do anything worse to us because the reality is there's nothing worse. That's the wrath of God. Now, the rest of this passage, Paul's going to give us some examples. Not every example, but some examples of how this works its way out in humanity in general and in individuals. His first example is a very controversial one. But he uses homosexuality as an example of how this has worked its way out in humanity. Paul says when people make that terrible exchange, they exchange the truth for the lie. Paul said, for this reason, here's the wrath of God. God gave them over to dishonorable passions. And stop right there. That's not an example. That's the wrath of God. God gives us over to chase stuff that's less than God. And no, I don't care what the passion is, it's dishonorable. And now Paul says, he uses the word for, it's gar in the Greek, which just means this is an example of what came before it. For, and then Paul uses the example uh, of homosexuality as a dishonorable passion. Paul says, and he uses this word again, exchanged. Have we seen that word in this passage already? Where? It's the bad exchange. We exchange the truth for the lie. That the, there's something better. I'll be happier if I ignore what God wants and do what I want. That's the exchange. More exchanges come And God says, before long, our passions are broken. Just as a race of human beings. And before long, people were, had inside of themselves desires that were not the way like our species uh, reproduces. Right? That was the exchange. Now, many, I think a majority of people in America would say, would disagree with what I just said. There's a decent chunk of people in Christian churches, at least a Christian on the sign, that would say that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul, I don't have time to go through all of the um, the ways that people try to get this to uh, agree with the uh, LGBTQ like agenda. But I'll, I'll give you, I think, is the main one, the Christianese version of this. They would say, here's what Paul means. Paul says, the problem here is when people make this exchange. They have, any, people have natural, normal, agreeing with their nature, desires, sexual desires. And for many people, what just comes naturally to them is a desire for someone of the same gender. And so there's nothing wrong with that. 
And what Paul is saying there's something wrong with is when someone has that natural desire, whichever direction it is, and they do something against that, their nature, right? So if I'm a heterosexual person and I act out homosexually, they would say, that's what Paul says is wrong. Or if I'm a homosexual person and I act out heterosexually, Paul says that's wrong because I'm going against my nature. That's abs- Here's why I disagree with that. Because it's absolutely not what Paul's saying right here. Paul's entire argument is we don't care what he thinks. I just want what I want. I don't care what he wants. I want what I want. Following my own natural tendencies is how we got in this mess to begin with. Now, and by the way, just, be, just because it's what I really feel does not make it right. And, if you, and, and that's not just about a homosexuality. We're going to go through a whole list of sins. And every single one of us are in that list. And if you are honest with yourself, they come very easy to you. They agree with your nature and they are what you want in many cases. They're still wrong. I don't care how natural they are to me or to you. So Paul says, here's what's happened. People did the exchange and God gave the human race over to chase after their passions until so long. We're so messed up. Even our most basic um, human functions, our desires and those things get, get twisted and get messed up. At the end of this, Paul says, so men committed shameless acts with men and they received in themselves the due penalty for their error. They received in themselves the due penalty for their error. What does that, what is the, what is the error people received inside of themselves for this sin? And this is in homosexuality. You know what, I, you know what has become very, a very popular understanding of this, which I disagree with, is this. Well, see, the homosexual community, they received in themselves the due penalty of their error. That's AIDS. That's hepatitis. That is, they are getting what they deserve for what they've done. Here's the problem with that. That's not what the wrath of God is in this context, what Paul's talking about. You know what the due penalty for their error is? More of the same desire. And this is not a homosexual thing, okay? Have you ever noticed, and I'll bet you have, the first time you do a wrong thing, the first time you do a sinful thing, it might be really hard, and you might get really nervous, and you might have guilt, and you might have sweaty palms, and you might be scared of your get caught, but what happens? It's easier. And then it gets normal. Then it becomes part of your lifestyle and part of your character. And then you want other people to believe it's okay and it's not really wrong because, because of the situation you are in. Before long, maybe you're even, you even boast about it. And you get stuck in it, you get enslaved by it. That's the wrath of God. And I don't care what the sin is. It's the way it works. 
I, I just, I'm sorry. Um, and I'm, I'm sure there are people here who have been taught this and believe that like AIDS is God's wrath in the homosexual uh, community. If you think Paul in AD 58 was writing about AIDS, you and I need to have a talk about how to exposit the scriptures, okay? Because he just wasn't talking about it. Here's another result of the passive wrath of God. Verse 28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do what should not be done. I've really already been explaining this a bit, but once God allows us to pursue, we make the trade-off, we decide we're going to pursue what we want, we're going to ignore what God wants. God, in his wrath, tells us, have at it, go get it. Um, And we pursue something less than God. Before long, our minds get so depraved, our minds, our hearts get so jacked up that we're, we're doing what should not be done and we don't even know it shouldn't be done anymore. We've convinced ourselves in, in my situation because of the way I am or because of the way that person treated me or whatever it is, it's, it's okay. And if you are, again, if you are thinking this only pertains to the homosexual community, I would ask you to expand that thinking a bit. Because depraved minds go in a million different directions than that one. And we are all experts at doing what in our heart of hearts we know should not be done and convincing ourselves it's okay. which I think is exactly why Paul does next what he does next. I think, I won't say this dogmatically, but I think the homosexuality example, I think Paul was just setting us up. I think Paul wants us to get, yeah, that's right. So Paul could say, oh, I'm glad you agree with me. Because let's talk about some more sins that work the same way. Verses 29 through 31, they, just people in general. Again, we, we make this exchange. We make ourselves the point of our lives. It's instead of admitting God as the point of life. And before long, you know, we have depraved minds. And Paul says, before long, we were filled with every kind of unrighteousness, wickedness, covetousness, and malice. These first four sins, I think, are categories. I think everything else on the list fits into one of those four categories. And the important line, Paul really, in other words, didn't need the rest of the list. I think Paul could just say, once we do this exchange, you and I, we get filled with every kind of unrighteousness, wickedness, covetousness, and malice. Bad stuff, wicked stuff. Covetousness is when, gosh, I look around, I've made this exchange, I want to make life about me, and so I see what you have, and I wish I had that stuff, and man, I would just feel better. I know I would feel content if I had more of what I already have, which is ridiculous if you think about it, right? 
this amount of money doesn't make me happy, but if I had more money, then I would be happy, right? This car wouldn't make me happy, but if I just had that one, I would be like, you already have one? It's ridiculous if you think about it, right? Or I want the position you have, or if I, whatever it is, leads to all kinds of problems. Malice, malice is when I want bad things to happen to other people. This is an interesting one. Um, I, I mean, I know some people would fall into a trap like this. Not us, not a spiritual crowd like this. But others I have heard have had thoughts at times like this. Man, that guy. That, if that guy would just get what is coming to him, someday somebody is going to unmask him. If he would just get, if she would just, if people knew what she was really like and she got what is coming to her, oh, that would be a good day. Right? Anybody? That's malice. And listen, here's, here's, how, here's how twisted and depraved our minds and hearts are. When I get in that mindset and I think, if that guy would just get what's coming to him, I would feel better because of that sense of, of justice. You know what I miss? That is me getting what's coming to me. That's the wrath of God. That's good. Maxwell, you are so the point of your own life that you think you would feel better if something bad happens to him. That's sick. And it's me. We get rife, filled with envy, murder, strife, deceit, hostility. These are all conflict words, right? You might read through there and say, well, at least I've never murdered anybody, right? Don't make me go to the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, if you've had any other of these, you're not innocent on that charge either, right? Again, I can be so combative. I can be so aggressive with my words. I can be so quick to, to fight why? Because there's nobody going to run over me. Nobody, I'm not going to let anybody talk like that to me. And God's like, oh, this is you getting what you deserve, Maxwell. You think you're giving that person what they deserve. You are getting what you deserve. When we tear other people down, when we try to destroy the reputations of other people, gossips, uh, gossip and slander. Gossip and talking bad about folks. You know why we do that? Because if I can destroy your reputation, it makes me feel better about mine. Right? If everybody knew what she was like, if everybody knew what he did, that'd be one more person like I'm above. Right? Again, I feel like that person would be getting what they deserve. And God's like, you, because your heart's like that, that's you getting what you deserve. We get, uh, oh, we can be haters of God. There are a lot of people who absolutely hate God and the idea of God, right? It's really easy to think, boy, that person is really going to get what they deserve for that attitude. You know what? They already are. We get insolent, arrogant, boastful. Uh, we get rude, arrogant, and boastful. Why? 
when I've made myself the point of my life, when I want to be exalted, when I bought the lie that I can be like God and other people can appreciate and, and, and admire and be jealous of me, well, it only makes sense. I better make sure that I'm above you. I'm arrogant. I'm boastful because I want to be above. I haven't said this one in a while. Finish it for me. It always feels better to feel. It feels better to feel better. We're disobedient to parents. Why in the world would Paul throw that one in there? You know why? It's evidence this starts early. We don't have to be taught this list. We don't have to catch this list, right? Your little cooing, smiling angel gets to be somewhere between 18 months old and two years old. And you know what starts to happen? They don't care what you say anymore. And then they start to like, like doing the opposite. Like what, what happened to you? You know what happened? They were born with you as their parent and they inherited your sin nature. This starts early. This is why, this is why, this is why it's so important to understand the difference between behavior control and discipline, which is love. Because when my kid starts to disobey me, that makes me feel less than I want to feel. And I'm going to straighten that out of you. And you're not going to, I'm not going to be like one of these other people who have misbehaving kids. Right? Because I don't want them saying that stuff about me. Right? And so I might go get them out of the street because I don't want people to think, or insert your other thing here. Right? I discipline to control your behavior. It's not the purpose of discipline. You know what the purpose of discipline is? To shape people who love God. Discipline of my children should be the same as God's discipline of me. It might hurt. It might be quick. But it is to bring them back into relationship with the one who is in authority. And when I do not do that, listen, when I do not correct, that's not love, that's wrath. And when I correct just so I look good, that's not love, that's selfishness and arrogance. We get this word senseless. It's basically like a seared conscience. Can't tell right from wrong. I, I, can't, I don't keep my word anymore. I'm heartless. I'm ruthless. And Paul sums all this up. In this cheery little paragraph, in verse 32, in summary, Paul says, although they fully know God's righteous decree that those who act these ways deserve to die, not only do they do them, but they cheer on other people who do them. And man, it, as we went through that list, if you are here this morning and did not identify yourself in any of that, I would go back to that one that says senseless, a seared conscience. And I would pray and ask God to soften that. Because you were in there, friend. 
I know I am. Where not only do we do them, but we want, we cheer others on who act in those same ways that I act because I don't want to be wrong either. How do we fall that far? How do we get so messed up? Here's how. Here's the truth is we were created on purpose for a purpose. To, to show how awesome and creative and wonderful God is. But we convinced ourselves, I can find a better purpose than making my purpose glorifying God. That is, number three, we exchanged the truth for the lie. Once that happened, the horse was out of the barn. And God just turns us over and says, you know what? You chase what you want to chase. That's all God has to do. You know why? Because God knows you and I make terrible gods. We make awful gods. Right? God is supposed to be the purpose of our life. And when I make me the purpose of my life, I'm believing the lie that I can be like God and it will never end well. Before we stop, I just want to remind you the purpose that Paul put this in there, not just to beat you up and tell you how rotten you are. That's why we have friends. No. Uh, God put all this in there just so you would understand. In the depths of my depravity, I need a stretcher. I need, if there is a way that God could send the hearse after my sinful, lifeless, spiritual corpse and pick me up and breathe new life in me, whatever it is. I know I need that. That's why Paul wrote this, to show us the need for the gospel. And the gospel is his active wrath. You know, most, most we see passive wrath. God just lets us chase stuff. He does have active wrath. You want to know where we saw it? The cross of Jesus Christ. That's what God's active wrath looks like poured it out on his son instead of us and said, if you just believe in him, I'll restore you back into a life where you can actually do number one. You can fulfill your purpose. You can glorify me with your life. We'll talk about how to do that in the coming weeks, but I better throw the shoots right now. Let's pray. Let's pray with me, you bunch of sinners. God, I, I don't mean to make light of our state. It's serious. It's why the Apostle Paul could call himself the chief of all sinners because he knew he had bought the lie. It's ultimately the same sin which we all sin. We buy the lie that we can have a better life than one spent pursuing and glorifying you. We have bought that lie that we can be like God. And you have pursued us you have had mercy on us when you should have had wrath. God, thank you for the things that wake us up. And if this sermon would be one of those things, I pray you would encourage someone here to place their faith and trust and hope in Christ Jesus and his shed blood on the cross. You might put that person, me and all of us, into a right relationship where we pursue our God. We love you, Lord. Thank you for the gospel. We certainly need it. In Jesus' name we pray.